for titling this message, you can title it, uh, The Challenges of Faith. The Challenges of Faith. Okay. Verse 22, Matthew chapter 14 says, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when the evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when, he saw, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to, to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Let's pray. Lord, help us to come to you with a heart full of faith, believing you, taking you at your word so that we can do the things that you've called us to do in the short time that we have on this planet. And so we just pray your Holy Spirit would fill this room, speak to our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. So this is one of those passages that are really popular, right? Everybody's heard about the story, even if you're not a Christian, about uh, Jesus walking on the water. And then Peter takes a step of faith and then takes his eyes off Jesus. He starts to sink. Jesus saves him. That's the end of the story. Um, and, and when I think about the story, I think sometimes these passages become so familiar so you almost skip over them. You like kind of check that box like, oh, I know that story. You just kind of forget about it. But when you gloss over passages of scripture, you might miss out the thing that you need to hear, the most important points. And so tonight I'd like to begin by asking you this question. Uh, what kind of life do you want to live? Do you want to live a boring life, or do you want to live an exciting life, full of adventure? So if you're a Christian, the answer should be an exciting life, by default. Why do I say that? Because when you're a Christian, a Christian believes in God, right? You put your faith in God. So what you're saying is, I'm putting all of my worth, all of my hopes, all of my dreams in a person that I cannot see. And I believe that person happens to be the creator of the universe. And that same God came into this world 2,000 years ago, died for my sins. So I don't have to pay the penalty myself. He did it for me. And I go to heaven when I die. You believe that. Or so I, I assume you believe that. How is that not exciting? And why would you begin your Christian life in faith and then waver as you get older, right? Wouldn't it just make sense that you begin in faith and extends throughout the rest of your life? Why would we start with faith and then it's like, well, I don't know, I, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that I'm forgiven, that I don't have to atone for anything that I've ever done. 
I am fully forgiven, that's it. And then when it comes to my job, my family, you know, who, who I'm gonna marry, all that stuff, it's like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I wanna exercise faith. I need to figure that one out, right? But if you're exercising faith, that means that oftentimes what you do does not make sense because God calls us to trust him. For Peter was walking on water, doing things that on the surface make absolutely no sense, but that's why we do it because it gives evidence that God is real. This is, this is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that Paul says, we have this treasure, this great treasure in earthen vessels. Like it's a, a fragile clay jar that people would know that the evidence is not, it's not about us. It's not about the outside. It's about what's inside. And so the Christian life should be the same way that people look at you and look at me and go, I don't know what is, I don't know like what it is about them, but there's something different. You know, like realistically, like you can, you can listen to some of the pastors that you probably listened to in quarantine and know exactly why that church is huge. It's because of the worship team. I'm like, I would go to that church if it, if it was local, you know? I would go to that church if, if the pastor's preaching next door. Like, it makes sense why that church is ginormous. But then you come here and then you're just like, I really don't know why there's so many people here on a Thursday night. There should be a, an element of mystery to the Christian life that people go, it has to be the work of God and not the work of man. This is why Habakkuk chapter two, verse four says, the just shall live by faith. So all start in faith that are Christians. The question is, will you carry it out through the rest of your life? You know, there are some blessings that you'll only discover if you live by faith. That's just a fact. And you may go the rest of your life not knowing the life that you could have had if you'd only believed what God said. So tonight we're gonna talk about faith. God's goal for you is that you and I would live the life of faith on a daily basis. So a daily relationship with God is. You can't have faith and not have a relationship with God. I can be legalistic and not have a relationship with God, but I can't have faith and not have a relationship with God. There's a huge difference because faith requires me listening to the voice of a creator. Faith is not me just blindly just making up things as I go along and going, oh, I'm gonna just go try to start a business and hope that it works out. But faith requires a call and then an answer. Faith always has a relationship, but when it comes to legalism, you and I can specialize in that. And sometimes, dare I say it, sometimes you can tell if a Christian really has a relationship with God or not by the things that they do, if their emphasis is on their works or their emphasis is on faith. If all the churches do is emphasize how you need to clean up your life, today we're gonna do part five of our series on you know, the way that you can be a better husband, Today, we're doing part six on how you need to stop cursing. Like a church that only teaches that stuff is only teaching the law, but they're not teaching love. They're not inspiring you to step out and just trust God and believe what he said. And so God's goal for you and for me is to live by faith. Now, the first thing I wanna point out in this, this passage is in verse 28. When Peter sees Jesus walking on the water, it says, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So the question is, whose idea was it to walk on water? 
wasn't, wasn't Jesus' idea. I think that's, that's probably good that it wasn't. It's not like Jesus looked at Peter and goes, all right, Peter, now's the time. Take a leap. Let's go, right? Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come onto the water. And I think that what we see here is that faith begets faith. When you see somebody else taking a step of faith, it inspires you to do the same thing, right? When I'm having lunch with Ray Dash Jr. in Newark and he's talking about having gang leaders over his church and how he's like talking to them and they're like looking to him as like this influential person. And that all happened because in 2007, he left CCOB and he went to go start a church in Newark and he'd been praying for years. I go, that's amazing. I don't know if I can do that, but I want to do something like that. I don't know if any gang leader will want to look to me and be like, yeah, I'm going to li- listen to this half Asian, half Jewish guy and, and how I'm, I'm going to like live my life according to what he says. Like, I don't know if they would ever do that with me. But that's kind of exciting, right? And you leave those conversations inspired and you want to do something too. Oftentimes when I'm in a rut, whether it's physically with rock climbing or musically and I'm trying to write something, what I need to do is, is not just like, okay, I'm going to set aside some time and I'm going to stay up till 4 a.m. tonight writing music. I just need to be inspired. I need to be at a concert. and I'm, I'm watching one of my favorite bands play, and they do something amazing, and I leave that place going, oh, I need to do something. Or I'm climbing with some guys, and then they do something incredible, amazing, inspiring. And then I go, I have to do the same thing. Faith begets faith. Peter saw Jesus, and he says, I want to do the same thing. And you know what? The more time you spend in the presence of Jesus, the more that you'll start to say, Lord, I want to do what you did. I want to go where you went. I want to, you said to your disciples that greater will the works be that you do. And I want to see those greater works happen. I mean, this church started because Lloyd Pulley, 35 years ago, left California. And because some couple listened to Raul Reese. Lloyd's pastor on the radio station in New Jersey had a home Bible study and then it became what it is today. And I always think about if he didn't heed that call of the Lord and take that step of faith, where would I be today? Where would my parents be today? Where would all of you be today? All because one person says, I want to take a step of faith. So how many people are there out there who don't know God because you haven't yet taken your step of faith? Who knows? It may not have to look like what Lloyd does or Ray does or anybody else does. But the fact is there might be somebody that can only be reached if you're the messenger because you have a unique testimony and story that God wants to use to specifically get past all those boundaries, obstacles, and touch their heart. I mean, many of you who have brothers and sisters that don't know the Lord know that it's true that there's nothing that you can do but you need somebody from the outside because no matter what, you're the brother, you're the sister. So you're praying that God would send somebody else into the life and speak to them. And who knows if you're that person for somebody else's brother or sister. So faith begets faith. So what does God desire from us? I think it's obvious at this point. It's not walking on water specifically. It's not any specific work. It's faith. That's all he wants. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, the Bible has always been about faith. 
that you first of all believe that God is, that he is God, he's real. And you also believe by faith that as you pursue him, as you walk out into the water, he will reward those that are diligent to seek him. But all throughout the Bible, it's been about faith. Even Abraham, the Bible says that he believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness, right? And back then, it's not like Abraham believed, you know, a couple thousand years from now, Jesus Christ will come into the world and die on the cross for my sins. What he believed was God's word, that I'm gonna have a son in my old age. How is that possible? I have no idea, but I'm gonna believe God. Even Adam and Eve in the garden, you see, when Satan was deceiving them, what was he doing? He was saying, don't trust what you've heard, right? Don't trust God's word. Instead, question it. Think about it. Look at this fruit. Doesn't it look appealing? It can make you wise. So they didn't trust God's word. Do not eat of the fruit. For the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And Satan says, you won't surely die. He starts appealing to their rationale. And if you start appealing to your rationale all the time, you'll never be able to take a step of faith because there will always be an element of believing that God sees something that you don't see. That doesn't mean you're irrational. That doesn't mean that you're anti-logical. But what it does mean is that you believe by faith that God is right about everything that he says. So the question is, has he really told you anything? Has he said anything to you? Because if he has, then he is worth believing. He is worth trusting. So if he calls us out into the water, then I believe. I don't, I don't know how that works physically, but I'm going to do it. If like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he calls us into the fiery furnace. I don't know how that works. Like human beings walk into a furnace and don't get burned, but somehow it's going to work and I'm going to do it. Even, even the small things we do in worship, we do by faith. Why do we sing when we're doing worship songs? Why is it not just like the worship leaders and we all just listen? Because if God does not exist, then singing makes no sense and we're all wasting our time. So we lift up our voice because there's a real God who hears us. Why do we lift our hands? Some of you are just like, it's kind of awkward when I don't lift my hands because it's weird if I lift my hands. You lift your hands for no other reason than you believe that there's a real God who sees you going like this, who sees you in an act of worship and humility. Why do we evangelize? Because we really believe that God can change your life. And we want to share the gospel, the good news, with everyone. So like 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. That's what it's all about. But turn your attention to verse 22. I want to show you something else in the passage. You know, this passage takes place right after Jesus fed the 5,000. And it says that immediately Jesus made his disciples in verse 22, get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he sent the multitudes away, he went, off, went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When the evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves for the wind was contrary. So Jesus, right after he fed the 5,000, he says, why don't you guys go on to the other side? I'm gonna go pray. But when he sent them into the boat, he was sending them into the storm. Because you see, faith, faith can only take place when there are things that are not visible. When there's a storm ahead. I mean, it takes no faith to walk into broad daylight, right? 
But when you're in the dark, when there's trouble and tribulation ahead, there's an opportunity to be strengthened for your faith to grow. And so for the remainder of our time tonight, we're gonna talk about the challenges to our faith. Because I think by now we understand, of course, yes, God wants us to exercise faith, but you and I know that there are challenges that get in the way of it. If it, was just, if, it was, if it was that simple to just do what God asked you to do, then all of us would do it. And all of us would be doing miraculous things. But there are things that get in the way. And those two things are this. Number one, the challenges to faith are what you can see. And number two, the things you can't see. The things you can see and the things you can't see. Those are our challenges to our faith. Now, I love when Peter sees Jesus, right? Walking on the water. What does it say that they thought? They thought that they, they saw a ghost. And so Peter, terrified out of his mind, like thinks he's gonna die and then sees this random human being just walking on water and thinks it must be a spirit or a ghost or something. He says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out into the water. Isn't that so real? Like all of us have that in us when we're praying. I think all my life, that's been my prayer. Lord, if it's you, Lord, would you make yourself real to me? Can you please show up? Please, I'm having doubts. Can you show me that you're there? Can you just give me some kind of sign that you, you've heard my prayers? And he has many times. But isn't that true? That like all throughout our Christian life, it doesn't matter how long we've been walking with Jesus, all of us are asking that question, Lord, if it's you, would you make yourself real to me? All of us are gonna be caught at one point in time in that, in that decision-making valley of am I gonna take a step of faith or am I gonna live in fear? I'm not gonna play it safe. And this, this is the comfort zone, right? Like nothing, nothing unsafe happens outside my comfort zone. I do all the things I'm comfortable with. But the problem is, and some of you have heard it, it's really corny, but I mean, I think it works. I used to teach a class called Killing the Comfort Zone and it was a class designed to help people bridge the gap with people they don't know, talk to new people. Because I figured some people want to meet new people, but just don't know how. And so it was kind of like a conversational starter class. Um, but the thing I used to say is, um, you got to kill your comfort zone because your comfort zone can be a coffin. And like, what is a coffin? A coffin is a safe place for dead people. And a church filled with coffins isn't a church, it's a cemetery. And when everybody stays in their secret little place, right? Like I'm just secure, no problems, no worries, then nobody's life will ever be impacted. We have to impart life. And that requires you to get out of your comfort zone, to do something that you're not feeling sure about. And so, you know, this past year in the pandemic, I don't, I don't really, I'm probably share this before, but like um, I used to have panic attacks for like five, six years didn't have it for like 10 years straight. And then with the pandemic, I started getting them again, like once a week. And I always said that if I ever got them again, I would know what to do. And I did know what to do, but it's absolutely exhausting. When you get panic attacks, the rest of your day is shot. There's nothing else you can do. Like, you know that you don't have a choice. You have to fight it. Because if you turn away and go the opposite direction, you're always gonna run away. You see, you don't have the ability to trust more just by the passage of time you have to take that step forward and say, I'm gonna do it. Regardless of how I feel, I'm gonna keep on going. But it's draining, exhausting mentally, emotionally, physically, right? And so about a month ago, I was going rock climbing outside 
and uh, we do bouldering, which means that you go about 15 feet max. It's not that tall, but you don't use any ropes. So the way that you land, if you fall, is we have these bouldering pads, which are basically like mattresses you bring outside. Some of you have probably seen or have gone before. Um, but it's generally safe. I mean, the worst that can really happen to you is that uh, you break an ankle or, you know, something like that. But you don't generally usually die from climbing like that. But it can still be dangerous. So uh, we're climbing this boulder. It's probably about 15 feet tall. I'm with a couple of my friends. And, you know, I was looking at the top, and it felt a little bit like out of my comfort zone. I'm still a little bit afraid of heights, which I know doesn't make any sense because I've been climbing for about 10 years. But... Um, that's kind of like one, one of the reasons I like to do it is because it pushes me beyond that place where I ever thought I would be able to go. Um, so anyway, I'm looking at this boulder and the landing was terrible. So you have like jagged rocks. So it's not like you can ever put the pad in a place that's generally safe. And there's this point of like no return. Like when you get to the certain point, you can't come down. Otherwise you're going to twist your ankle or get hurt or something. So you have to keep on going. And I know I'm physically capable of doing it but there's that mental block you have. Your whole body is just like, starts getting so nervous, uptight. You're like holding on way harder than you have to. It's almost like a roller coaster if you're afraid of heights. It's like you're in line and there comes that point of no return where you're like, okay, I'm in. I can't bail now. They've like locked the gate and we're going and I can't stop this ride. That's gonna be the most embarrassing thing in the world, right, if I get off. You've hit the point of no return. You have to keep going. And I think it's like that with faith. And so I, I did, I, I just got to the rock and I said, I have to do this, I can't leave. Because if I leave today and I do what I always do, which is I'll do it next time, there'll never be a next time. I will always choose to run away. And so I did it and I was safe and I was okay. And you know what? It made it easier to do it again because I saw that it was safe. And it's very similar when we take the lifestyle of faith, that we believe God and we're terrified, right? There's no way this is gonna work. And you step out into the water. And as long as your eyes are on Jesus, you're safe. And you see that really, like, God can be trusted. I really did it. I walked on water. But then here's the other thing. Tomorrow's a new day. And the miracles God did five years ago, you've forgotten about already. And maybe like you got saved when you were a teenager and you know for a fact God did some amazing things in your life. And by now you're like, you forgot. And you don't apply the miracles from five years ago to today. And that's why we constantly need to be living a lifestyle of hearing God and then answering, following him. Because that's the only way that we're gonna be able to grow and make a difference in people's lives. So first, first challenge for us is what we can see. For Peter, he said, it's a ghost. That's what he saw. Or verse 30, it says, they saw that the wind was boisterous and they became afraid and beginning to sink, Peter cried out saying, Lord, save me. So if you look at your circumstances, of course you're gonna be terrified. If you overthink it, of course you're gonna freak out. But you know what? That's not what you have to focus on. You can't focus on what you can see. That's the whole reason. We walk by faith and not by sight. And here's the other thing. You don't have to have complete peace to have complete faith. Some of us are waiting for that time where, like for me with climbing, it's like waiting till my heartbeat calms down and waiting till I just feel comfortable and I'm gonna go up and I'll feel fine. And that time will never come because there will always be the element of risk. 
an element of you surrendering control from yourself and saying, I'm going to just trust the Lord regardless of how I feel. Peter, his situation wasn't peaceful. The wind was boisterous. He thought he saw a ghost. What am I doing? I'm, I just wonder if, if Peter is just like, he said it, and he's just like, if it's really you, command me to walk on water. Why did I say that? I don't know why I said that. Like, everybody else is freaking out. Like, we're going to die. And Peter's like, I want to do that, right? But we have to keep going. We have to trust the Lord, regardless of how we feel. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 4, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, best book in the Bible, by the way. Uh, it says this, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. The NLT got like flack for translating it this way, but I think it's like a really good, like almost like commentary on it. The translation NLT did, which doesn't sound like this at all, says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. But I like that. Because it's so true, isn't it? You're waiting for the perfect person. You're waiting for the perfect amount of money to get married. You're waiting for the perfect situation, perfect job, something where there's no risk. But what you, what you don't need is complete assurance or what you don't need is complete assurance in your circumstances you do, you do need complete assurance in your Savior. You have complete assurance in what God has said. And the more that you know God and his voice, you should just go and do it. But sometimes it requires us to not look at the things we can see. I think about like, you've ever done the experiment in elementary school when they tell you to like close your eyes and like see what you can hear. And then like the rest of your senses are heightened because you close your eyes. Sometimes the best thing we can do is go to the secret place and trust the Lord, hear from him and not listen to the noise, not pay attention to the trials around us. I remember uh, like maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, I was driving and I got an unexpected charge on my credit card and I immediately started going into like figure it out mode. And I was like, oh no, I don't make enough money. And what am I gonna do? I don't, how am I gonna pay these bills? And and all these things, and my mind's spiraling. And then for hours, like probably like two hours, I'm just thinking about, okay, I'm gonna start a business. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do because I'm a fixer. I have to figure out how I'm gonna provide for the family and just make this all work. And I realized as I'm going in circles about like, well, I could do this job, but then I have to quit that job, and then this one work out. As I'm doing this, I'm wasting valuable, I know some of you don't understand this, but valuable time in isolation where I can think without kids screaming at me. <laughs> You know, in my ear, begging for me, begging things for me. So it's like valuable time I'm like driving where I'm like, okay, I could use this time to think about the kingdom, think about green and think about ministry, to be praying for people. And instead, all I'm doing is worrying. Oh God, how am I gonna do this? Right? And some of you know what it's like. You're just locked in your thoughts and you can't get out. But I felt like God was telling me in that moment, that verse where Jesus says, don't worry about what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna wear, what you're gonna drink. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, right? But instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So as I'm driving in the car, I'm just like, okay, Lord, I am so wasting this trip. I could be praying for people. I could be doing all these things and I'm just worrying. So I'm gonna stop. I'm just gonna believe by faith that you got it. You're gonna figure it out somehow. And I'm just gonna think about the things that I should be thinking about. At that same moment, Somebody Venmo me $500. I'm not even kidding. It really happened. And I was just like, this is crazy. I need to do this more often. You know? 
Like, this is wild. What? Like, that was crazy. What are the chances out of the blue that some random person gave me $500? And so it was just like those little things. I mean, that wasn't really a little thing, but those things where God just kind of just shows you that I'm listening, I hear you, I'm gonna be with you. And we'll never get that opportunity if you're saying, sorry, God, I wanted to surrender to you, but I got this one. All I have to do is, you know, I got my plan laid out. I'm gonna do these things and I got it taken care of. But if you take care of everything, you'll never see God take care of you. You'll never see God be your shepherd, the one who leads you into green pastures, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't need anything because God is the one who takes care of me. So take steps of faith. Because as you do, things like that happen. I'm not saying you're going to get $500, so don't quote me on that. But it got me psyched. I learned a lesson, at least for this week. And then who knows, in a month, same thing. I'm like, oh, how am I going to do this again? Your faith will only grow as you take steps of faith. So maybe it is for your family. Maybe it is for a spouse. Maybe it is for your finances. And you're saying, how is this all going to work? I've been single forever. How am I going to make this work? How am I going to be ever able to own a home? How am I ever going to be able to do, you know, pursue my dreams or finish school? Or, and you have all these things. It's just like, I don't know how any of this is going to happen. But here's the thing. God wants to do a work in your life that only he can take the credit for. He wants to do a miracle. And your life is to be evidence that God truly exists. You know, something I think that's worth sharing with you because some of you know this, but maybe not all of you know. So I might as well just share it because it can't be a secret anymore. So for the past six years, I've been praying about planting a church in Brooklyn. So I remember we had a pastor who, who flew out recently who um, came to encourage myself and a couple of people who will be planting a church with me. And uh, his church plant is five years old and they're the first financial sponsors for our church plant. And um, so he came out with his wife and just really was amazing. It was a great time. And as we were going, you know, like we, we went to Brooklyn Bridge Park and we're praying. And as we're praying, this girl is like standing there. We don't even realize it until we say in Jesus' name, amen. And we open our eyes and there's a girl who's like 24 is standing there. She's like, are you guys praying? Yeah, we're praying. It's like, oh, that's awesome. And then I was like, oh, I should talk to this girl because obviously this is a divine appointment. So we start talking and then we pray for her and her mom. And then she's like, do you mind if I like hang out with you guys? Like, yeah, sure, like, hang out with us. And then we're walking around and then somebody asks her, do you have a church? She's like, no, but I do now. And we're just like crazy, like this weird divine appointment. And we're so encouraged you know, and, and having Casey there. And so I'm talking to Casey, who's the pastor. And I was like, do you realize that the entire life of your church, five years, I've been praying about planning a church? It's been so long. And so the timeline of it is basically, you know, years ago when Lloyd first had the bridge radio station and was extending the signal into New York City, he says, we're gonna change the world by reaching New York City, being the only radio station that broadcast, a Christian radio station that broadcasts out of New York City. I'm like, that sounds awesome. And I have all these backslidden friends. I have all these unsafe friends that all live in the city. I'm like, this is great. It's awesome. So why are we not planting a church in New York City? That was my question to Lloyd six years ago. He's like, that's a great question. There are four churches that are Calvary Chapel churches in New York City. Obviously with the pandemic, everybody's leaving and all that stuff. But as a single guy, six years ago, I'm just like, okay, obviously this is what I want to do, but like where, right? And so that's something I've been praying about. And I felt like God was giving me little bits and pieces, you know, different people that are, I was coming into contact with and different stories. And, you know, this one businessman I met through a mutual friend. 
And he was just kind of setting me up with like how to fundraise and all this stuff. And my mutual friend didn't know this, but as we're sitting down getting lunch, he's like, yeah, we never, we never discussed this before, but actually when I was you know, in college, I always wanted to plant a church in Brooklyn. I never had the chance to. I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. So all these little divine appointments and I'm like, okay, where's it gonna be? And I never got clarity on where it's supposed to be. And then Jenna, my wife, comes into my life as a single mom. And I remember telling her, I was like, there's only one thing I know I'm, I'm convinced beyond a shadow of that, that that God's calling me to do. And I'm called to plant a church in Brooklyn. That was like the initial like disclaimer I gave as we started dating. And that was, you know, three years ago now. And so just watching like all this time passing and like, when is it gonna happen? And then I'm with one of my friends who's, uh, who's not saved, but we climb together all the time. He works in uh, Tesla and Red Hook. And so he's like, oh, let's go to Carroll Gardens. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Because there's a coffee shop there. So we go there. And the first thing that I realized as we sat and got coffee there is there's like strollers everywhere and kids everywhere. And anyone who has kids understands like, you can't just go everywhere that you want because the kids are so loud and jump around and you're like gonna distract everybody. So as we're there, I'm just like, this is crazy. What is this place? It's like a magical place filled with children that, you know, my children will feel comfortable with. So I'm taking pictures of kids, you know, (laughs) random kids, sending them to Jenna. I'm like, this is crazy. And so then like I Googled what churches are in Carroll Gardens. And then I saw that there are zero churches in Carroll Gardens, like zero. Actually, just like two Catholic churches and then like one Anglican church, but no evangelical Bible teaching churches. This is kind of crazy. So I started talking to people at this church planning program, Tim Keller's program in, in New York City. And I said, isn't it crazy? I found a church, you know, an area with no churches. And like, yeah, nobody's doing something there. You should do something there. So all this happens, right? And it's been so long and there's all these hurdles. I'm not gonna bore you with all the details. But I'm at this point now where it's just, there's been so much ups and downs where I'd had to take the thing that I, I believed God was telling me. And I felt like Abraham sacrificing Isaac where I said, all right, Lord, I am so convinced that this is what you said and you're gonna make it happen. And I have no idea how you're gonna make this happen. I can't afford to live there. I don't know how we're gonna move there. Who's gonna even talk to us, right? Like we're going into this random, I I explain it like this, like church planning is like starting a business, like a coffee shop where your target demographic hates coffee and you can't steal from any other competitors. So you can't go to other Starbucks and be like, hey, we're gonna, we're starting a new Starbucks or alternative Starbucks. It's like, it has to be a work of the spirit. And now, currently we have people in our lives that we're discipling. A new believer that we met, you know, two months ago, he came to Calvary Chapel Oldbridge from Carroll Gardens and he just got saved. He came to our creation conference and he's like, yeah, I got saved two months ago and I'm looking for a church. I live in Carroll Gardens. So I met with him today and we're hanging out. And it's amazing. He's just absorbing so much. And then we got some other people that God just randomly brought into my life. I ran into a crossing guard because of Tatum. I brought Tatum into New York City and we're walking around in the park. And then, you know, like I'm an Asian guy and she's this four-year-old white girl. And the crossing guard thinks that it's just like a four-year-old just on the loose by herself, gonna run into the street. So she like, you know, tries to like, you know, get her and just try to talk to her and like find out where your parents are. And like, here, here I am, you know? And, and then we started a conversation. And then she met my family. And now she's like our adopted grandmother. It's like crazy how that all happened. I saw her today. And um, so all that to say, like, I'm starting to see God bring all these people all because I said, I'm just gonna believe God. I'm gonna keep going. And I had no idea what's gonna happen. This is like a huge risk on everything that I know about. 
But um, I kind of think about like the two lepers in 2 Kings chapter seven, when they're all like starving to death because there's a siege around Jerusalem. And they said, well, we could stay here and die or we can go to enemy territory and die. But why don't we at least go? Because either way, at least it's like we die here, we die there. Might as well like try and die than not try and just die, you know? That's how I feel. It's like, I could not take a step of faith, but what's the alternative? Just living my life in regret? Like what could have happened? I always wonder, you know? And all of you probably have something like that on your heart where you're just filled with trepidation and fear. And you're like, I can't, there's no way I can do this. But do you wanna really live your life going, oh, I should have done it. I know people like that who are living in their 60s and 70s with regret saying, I should have done it. I should have just believed God. I should have answered the call. Because you'll never know what God had. And faith requires that you believe that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek you. I'm telling you, and, and here's the other thing. For five years, I saw no fruit. And it was only through the pandemic that I started to see some fruit. Like even this random kid at the climbing gym two weeks ago, I've known him for two years. I see him sometimes at the climbing gym. And then I saw him for the first time since the pandemic two weeks ago and I see him. And then I sit down, Nick Dumphy's there. And I sit down and he goes, so are you like a pastor? I'm like, yes. And he's like, oh, you know, I, was, I meet so many cool people here. And I'm like, cool, pastor, cool, pastor. It's like, so weird, it's so random. Nick's like, this can't be happening. You know, like all these divine appointments. So anyway, it's not about what you can see. It's what you can't see. Think about Elijah in Second uh, Kings chapter six. Remember that story where there's a young servant along with Elisha and they're surrounded by the Syrian army. And he's like, what are we gonna do? We're gonna die. And Elisha says, don't worry about it. There are more with us than there are with them. And then, and then Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. He opens his eyes, he sees chariots of fire all around them, surrounding and outnumbering the enemy army. So sometimes it's about what you can't see. Why did Peter sink? Well, he saw the wind. He took his eyes off of Jesus. But check this out, verse 31. It says, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. The wind ceased after they got into the boat. Like you couldn't have made that happen first? No, because then there would be no story. All of us need to go through tribulation. So the Bible promises, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. But what I also love is the fact that it's not the amount of your faith, it's the object of your faith. You know, at the end of the day, if this was a story about how Peter didn't have faith, maybe it'd be something like, and Peter's walking in water for two seconds and then he drowned to death, you know? But Peter says, or Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith. He didn't say you didn't have any faith. Little faith. As he began to sink, he said, Jesus, save me, knowing and believing that he had the power to save him. See, even as you take a step of faith and you start to stumble, at any point in time, you can call upon the name of the Lord and he will be your savior. What do you have to lose? What do I have to lose? The answer is nothing. In conclusion, you know, I've said this before here, but we're saying again, I have two goals in my life, two things that I want to accomplish before I die. 
Number one, I wanna know that because I've been alive, the gospel was pushed further into orbit. That more people were influenced and impacted by the message of Jesus because I was here on this planet. And number two, I wanna know when I see Jesus face to face that every step of faith that he asked me to take, I said, yes. That's it. I'm not called to be a Billy Graham. At least I hope not, right? That's a lot of pressure. I'm not called to be a missionary in China. I mean, maybe, but probably not. And that's scary. That's terrifying. Missionary in North Korea, that's not, that's not my calling. I'm not called to be any of those things, but I do have a calling and I'm gonna follow it and do it to the best of my ability. And God may not be calling you to Brooklyn or to India or China or, or even where you are in New Jersey, but he is calling you to something and you will never know what treasures and rewards he has for you until you take that step of faith. So the just live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And we can say that. We can say God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But wouldn't you wanna speak from experience? Wouldn't you want to, at the end of your life, say, I trusted God and it was worth it. I believe God and it was worth it. Let's pray.